Greetings all. Welcome back to another episode of the Coptimizer podcast. This week, our guest is Sarah Draper, and uh, she's out on the West Coast. I'll let you tell her, uh, tell us where she is. I'll let her tell that story. But we're going to have a great conversation about why it's important to be well today, which I think fits nicely into the theme of the Coptimizer podcast, the cop optimization or the police officer performance optimization program. I call it, that's the popo version of what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thanks for being here, Sarah. Awesome. So good to be here, Patrick. Thank you. Okay. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, you are retired now. Yes. FBI special yep. agent. Yep. Absolutely. And you asked where I live, Boise, Idaho, with a Boise, <laughs> with an S, if you're ever curious. Yeah, Boise, uh, we moved back here, my family and I moved back here, here this summer after I retired from the FBI. But we lived out here the first time about 10 years ago. We were, we were transferred out here and loved it. And my husband also retired from the Bureau. Um, but we both took our final jobs back uh, at Quantico. Marine Corps base. And so we made a deal with our kids that after our time back at Quantico, that if they still wanted to come back to Boise, we'd do it. And they did. So nice. we made it back. Yeah, we love it out here. So Boise. So you're you're a, an insider if you say Boise and not Boise, because the rest there of the There you world go. Says, That's a good way of putting it. I like it. Yep. We, we all say Boise. Yeah. I'm not far from Louisville, you know, which Is some people Louisville? would. Louisville. It's almost Louisville. like you got a mouthful of something. Louisville. Yeah. Louisville. I love it. <laughs> and not, love it. not yeah, Louisville, exactly. like yeah. Louisville. Yeah. Yeah. Or like the Willamette River in Oregon. <laughs> I digress. We could go thing. on all day. Yeah, we sure could. Okay. Well, so that's cool. So what, I mean, what was the draw? What, what did your family like about Boise? Yeah, we uh, first time around, we actually picked it sight unseen because we talked with a few people who raised about it in it met all our paper marks for a great place to raise a family, outdoor life, great values, strong community. And we came out here and that was absolutely true. And now I'm doing everyone in Boise a disservice because people are going to continue to flock here because over the last couple of years during the pandemic, this place has exploded in growth. But that's why we wanted to get back here. We, we, were, we spent six years here the first time and it was the strongest sense of community we've had um, during living in a number of different places. My husband and I met and got married in the army. So we've been three few journeys together and lived a number of places. And we love the sense of community, the outdoor lifestyle, uh, great families. And it's just, it's, it's a great place to live. Well, and if you watch the show, the end of us, did you see that? Like the, the one, of, no. Oh yeah. Well, it's kind of like a, uh, end of the world apocalyptic type okay, of show okay. it's pretty funny but I, I think it's colorado idaho area of course yeah. where where yeah. where all the survivors are at the end yeah. so yeah and I, i've probably done a, a boise a disservice myself because now i think you're the fourth guest that i've had on this season <laughs> all from people that have moved elsewhere uh some california transplants yeah. that have all yeah. moved to the boise area everybody loves it so uh, yeah, that's that's um, <laughs> quite true on many fronts. A lot of people have moved here and everyone loves it. It's a really great place. 
Well, I have, so my mother-in-law for a, for a, a period of about 10 years, she lived in Kemmer, Wyoming, which is okay. not far from mm-hmm. Idaho. And then some of her extended family is from Soda Springs and that area. But ah. I, I try to make it, so I, I try to make it out there as much as we can. And it's been a few years since we've made it back out, but that area, you know, really anywhere in, in the Jackson area, just that's kind of, that's kind of my happy place. So yeah, I think it's probably anyone's happy place who's ever been there. It's unbelievable. Love it. Okay. Enough, enough of that. So, <laughs> so your career, you, you spent six, what were you doing in Boise the first time you were there? What, um, uh, what was, your, what was your role with, with the Bureau? Yeah, yeah. For a little while, I ran the JTTF, and then we formed a national security squad uh, for the state. So I, well, it was for the southern three quarters of the state, which I calculated at once. It's huge territory, about 10,000 square miles smaller than the state of Washington is what we covered out of what we call the FBI resident agency. So it's a satellite office out of Salt Lake City. Uh, Previously, we had one squad in the southern part of the state and then one up north in the northern kind of that northern neck those upper 10 counties and in 20 gosh 15 ish yeah i think 2015 or so bureau recognized uh, it'll be valuable to have a dedicated national security program and so so i supervised that for a while and then at the very tail end i i actually moved over and worked um, economic espionage for for not even a year before we transferred back to the East Coast. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So for uh, for those that aren't familiar, that I mean, that's pretty much the the way the setup goes for for the FBI. I think you guys have about like 150 field offices, like main offices, it's something like that. It's been a while. I worked a Safe Streets Task Force yeah. Yeah. Uh, for a few years. Um, it's been uh, that was like 2009 to 2000. 10, 11, yeah. 12 timeframe. Yeah, we but, just have about 56 field offices, um, 55 soon. And and we're, but we've got, yeah, that many with our resident agencies, the satellite offices. So Salt Lake, for example, Salt Lake City field office covers all of Utah, Idaho, and Montana. It's a huge territory. So there were, at least when I left, 17 RAs out of that one field office. Okay, I think I'm. I think the number I'm thinking of is actually the number of safe streets task forces you have. Oh yeah, that would be. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That's that probably, great. But you know that is. So it's it's always interesting. You know, coming from local law enforcement, mm-hmm. uh, we and we used to joke about stuff like this. But sure. when you come from local, you you don't have any really. There's if a call for service comes in, you have to take it, and right. and generally mm-hmm. it's it's like right now. And then as you move away, like sheriff's departments tend to have their own type of schedules and how they operate. Mm-hmm. Then yep. you have the state police in, yep. in a geographical area where they, yep. they may or may not be a 24 seven, depending yeah. on what your, what, what your needs yeah. are. And then when you start branching out to your federal partners, that's, that's a whole nother, it's, it it's, it's a whole nother uh, criteria, but it, we always we always uh, like the idea that when you work with with the any of your federal partners, sometimes it seems like you have a little bit more say and you pick and choose what you're going to work and what you're oh, not going to work. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. No, I mean, that's such a great point. And, and when you talk about 
popo, <laughs> your optimization, right? So I think of it as wellness. But what you all do at the local level, like you, you don't get a choice, right? And, and that choice is sometimes in the moment. There's a second. For us, generally, right, we're not first responders. So we do have people who serve in that capacity in, in different places around the world. Um, but generally, right, we get to have a lot more uh, um, in, uh, impact or say in, in time and place. Um, as well as engagement to begin with. And, and you know, it, it has to do with uh, working with the U.S. Attorney's Office and what they might prosecute. And, you know, all these factors go into whether or not we're going to work something. And I believe so strongly, and I, and this comes back, my very first office in the Bureau was in Salem, Oregon. There were four Bureau folks, four Bureau agents there, and we worked with our local partners, like, so closely from my second day in the bureau, all the way through through that entire experience, um, our partnerships are critical, right? Like how we build those relationships and trust one another is just absolutely essential for all of us to best protect our communities and and that collaboration um, because we all bring different resources, right? We all have our own challenges, but we also bring different resources. And when we work together, we can we can do the best job possible to protect those communities. Yeah, and uh, so the agent that I worked with uh, directly on our, he was assigned to our Safe Streets Task Force. Um, he he had a brilliant analogy, and it wasn't his, <laughs> so I won't give him credit for it because yeah, he said he took it. From, he took it from one of his old bosses, but he said the yeah. FBI is like a battleship. He was like, it takes a long time to turn. Yeah, He's okay. like, but but once it does turn and gets all you get all its guns to your broadside, you know, it can uh, it can it can do a lot of damage. <laughs> So yeah, 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 that was, exactly. you know, that was kind of always the concept of how you, when you, when you partner with, mm-hmm. sorry, I had to close my blind there. It's getting, it's getting right. When you partner, it's really just a matter of uh, making sure that everybody um, understands what their role is and, mm-hmm. and making sure that you're optimizing your people and your talents and, yeah. and, and quite frankly, in, in which in, in areas where the rules where, where you can operate, because that, that, that drives a, a big part of it too. And I, I mean, didn't even mean to go in down this road intending, but I, it, it, I think it's always fascinating to me when we used to host our citizens Academy classes, mm-hmm. just about how generally unaware and unfamiliar the, of the rules of policing that most people in communities have. I mean, there's, yeah, it, people and and I hate to say it, but most people's opinion about policing is formed through pop culture and pop media, like mm-hmm. shows that they watch on television. Yep. So I'm so this is gonna like I, I'm gonna have to ask the question, right? Because this is what everybody wants to know. What what are the best cop shows on TV? And generally, I don't like shows about municipal policing because they bother me. But I can mm-hmm. watch shows about <laughs> about the FBI or you know the mil- some of the military base shows that that's yeah. that seems like to be a little bit more entertaining to me but what do you think is the best and most uh i don't know most realistic cop show that's on television and it can it can span any of any of the the genres i am gonna i'm like the worst person you could ever ask that question <laughs> I don't have any idea. I don't do a lot of TV watching. <laughs> well, that's not good. That's good. I'm not interested this time. Like I, I make choices otherwise. So I don't know. I apologize. 
right. Well, I'm just, I, I asked the question mostly because I wanted to, be, to say what mine was. I was going to ask. Okay. <laughs> so what is yours? <laughs> mine, mine is Reno 911. And uh, yeah, I've become through a wellness. Says I, as I drink water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I say this because I, I got the opportunity to, to become friends with a former chief from Reno PD uh, yep. through a wellness project that we worked on. Ah. And uh, yeah, that was like, that show was so good. So good. <laughs> it's funny. Now it was, well, obviously it was a dramatization and they, and they yeah, took things to the extreme, but I think, but the issues themselves that they addressed, uh, yeah. oh man, so yeah. good. Yeah. I mean, the parodies are fun. I'll tell you, my kids will love Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is that is pretty good, too. So that's always good for a good a good chuckle. So. All right. Well, we won't talk about any of the FBI shows then. Okay. So your your company now, since you retired, is, yep. is called Leading Well Strategies. Can you, yep. I, I guess now we actually get to the reason why we wanted to have this conversation, yeah. but- health and wellness and mm -hmm. really understanding the importance of of a holistic approach and you know how not you know it really it works for everybody but i think mm -hmm. primarily our audience is policing and yeah. the stressors in policing are driving early mortality rates they're driving high rates of suicide uh, obesity um cardiovascular disease, all the, all the diseases mm -hmm. of inflammation, uh, and the list goes on. So where did, where did your interest in this begin and kind of maybe talk a little bit about that journey for us? Sure. sure. So <clears throat> for as long as I can remember, I've been interested in fitness, right? Like, so we can go back even as a child through high school into college, that was always a, a, a very important part of my life, which is a wonderful, wonderful foundation. And so for a long time, I focused on the physical side. I never really thought outside of that. I did have a strong um, spiritual upbringing, right? And so I had a core, a spiritual core as well. I never really equated those at all. Those are just kind of parts of me, part of my background and part of who I'd become. Uh, probably... Seven years ago or so, um, which you and I have talked about, like we get to a point in our career where most of it's in the rearview mirror and you start looking forward. Um, and you're in a leadership role and the pressures have accumulated. And if you're a parent, as a parent, right, um, my husband's in the bureau and like all these pressures were, were common for you. You're leading, you're parenting, you're you're trying to do all these things and I at, <laughs> on top of it all around that time I'm like I'm gonna go to grad school <laughs> I want <laughs> I really want to do this leadership thing as great as possible so I'm just gonna go to grad school and, and, and get a degree in that and so through that on top of it right it, it, but through that process and that journey and it was a it was a really challenging time in leadership in a um, just based upon what was going on operationally or environment and all those other things, I was exposed to a class and my National Academy students have heard this story. So um, I was exposed to a class in grad school that gave me the opportunity to climb a 
snow mountain in Washington state, right? Nothing, not a big deal, not rainy or anything like that. But I'm like, hey, that looks cool. I want to go, go do that, that class. I want to do that climb really. So the class was organizational resilience and it was about hardiness, organizational hardiness. And this is the first time I'd been exposed to concepts outside the physical self, but also a connection with that, that spiritual core as well. And so, through this class, I learned what resilience is. I misunderstood it for for far too long. I'd always thought of resilience in the terms of like uh, grit. Grit is great. Grit is so important. Grit to the extreme, um, to the point of stubbornness. Like if I decide to do something, I'm gonna do it. Like I'm. I'm not, there's no turning back. I don't, I, I think I've quit one thing in my entire life type of thing. And so I um, took that to an extreme, right? And so I'd always thought of resilience being just grit, stubbornness. And grit is great. It's so valuable. I mean, I love Angela Duckworth's research. And she, she as part of that research, uh, went to West Point where my undergrad was. And she studied cadets to do her research about grit. So that was just kind of... Yeah, that, you know, that was I, fascinating too. And for those right. that are listening, if you've never yeah. read uh, her book, Grit, uh, I, I really, really have it here. It, I'm yeah, sure I do. I'm looking for it. It's over there somewhere. Um, Here it is. Am I allowed, am I allowed to do that? Sneak oh, away? yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, <laughs> so there we go. yeah, mine's right, yeah. Uh, mine's right <laughs> above me in my, in my shelf. So. Somewhere over there. Um, so great, great, I mean, great, great thing to have. But again, I took it to an extreme and I, you know, I actually like developed some physical injuries, which you can sense, but also during that time, like I had a lot of, um, uncertainty and doubt about myself and my performance. I think we all, most of us have some level of imposter syndrome. Like, am I really, we don't talk about it, but, I hear enough stories. I know I'm not the only one. And like we question and doubt. And so we just go harder and go harder and go harder. And it was through this class I got exposed to practices, principles, research, strategies uh, that helped me to realize I needed a better way. And it would all change, right? It's not immediate. It's not overnight. Change is tough. Um, change is incidental. Oftentimes we start doing things and the change happens. Um, but I, I did, that was the beginning of my exposure to a whole new field of what, you know, I guess I'll classify as wellness and being able to apply these things in my life started changing me. Um, and so such principles, you know, it, it, it could be just a gratitude practice. I'm really big on gratitude. It could be, um, meditation. I got really, I, I, I wasn't at the time into meditation. I since have become, I found it very frustrating initially. And we can talk about that if you want, because I've got some uh, suggestions for folks who can't overcome that initial hurdle. Um, just approaching life more holistically. So as I go through this journey, some things happen in my life that others found my reaction or lack of a reaction to them to be surprising. Knowing me, but also knowing the circumstances. And others commented about it. And they're like, hey, Sarah, you're like, you're not like I thought you were. You're not a puddle on the ground right now. Like, you, what, 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 you know, like, what's different? I hadn't realized I had been changing. 
but others noticed it. So that caused a lot of reflection, reflection and look back. I'm like, man, I think it's all this stuff I've been doing. So with that, you know, this is kind of a, a summary over a number of years. I People start asking me about, like, well, what what is it? What are you doing? So I would share some ideas. And I was so fortunate in my last couple of years in the Bureau to be able to get to the National Academy. The, the FBI's National Academy is our our executive law enforcement educational program, a 10-week residential program housed at our training academy in Quantico, Virginia. And we bring in um, top law enforcement uh, leaders, executives from around the world for this 10-week program where for, um, it, it's, just a, it's a great experience. Part of that is an academic uh, environment. So they're taking undergraduate and graduate courses, University of Virginia accredited. And so I was able to find my way once COVID lifted over to the NA and start instructing. And this just kind of brought it all together for me. So uh, um, just my my love of people, right? I just love people, right? And so to be able to help bring some of the things that have helped me in my life and expose others to kind of some different strategies that, that they could try on and see what worked for them was just the most fulfilling thing I've done. So leaving the Bureau, right, we made that deal to our kids that we'd come back to Boise when we retired or when we could retire. We didn't have to retire, but we could. And so this was um, leaving the NA very hard, amazing group of people, amazing mission, um, loved every day. And so, but, you know, the family is priority. So we made that deal. So we're like, okay, we'll go back to Boise. And that gave me this new opportunity to try to, help others um, inside of broader law enforcement, but also outside of law enforcement to again, try some strategies. And that's why that word strategies is in my title, because leading well was already trademarked. Alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've come up with another word, um, but I love the idea of strategies because there's not one thing to do. And and what works for you is probably not necessarily going to work for me. And, and I would share this with my students, like, I'm going to have you guys try a bunch of stuff. I'm going to build in some accountability because they'll attach a tiny part of a grade, right? So need to try these things, but not everyone's going to love everything. And very few people would, would love everything, but and, and not everyone would like the same things. But through that process, I think folks can begin to find things that work for them. That's cool. So a couple of things I want to touch on there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, and I... Uh, Corey Magookan has been on the show. Mm-hmm. I know you know Corey. Yeah. Um, the um, one one of the other uh, a separate wellness project that I work on. I work with Russ Cleaver. I don't know if you know Russ or not, but he, mm-hmm. I know he's worked at the at the NA in the past as well. Um, and and um, Paul Bertrand as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah. some so these the some of the things that you're talking about, I think are are really important. I think most people listening here we'll know what the NA is. And, and uh, we've probably had a lot of, a lot of listeners that have actually been there. Um, the, I think, um, because I teach classes around the country as well. And I teach a new class for Indiana chiefs. I do a, a, just a brief wellness class for them. And one of the, one of the things for me, very similar to you early in my career, I got exposed to, um, it just through reading, because I love to read. I just came across mm-hmm. a book that gave me some nutritional um, 
ideas and I've talked about it ad nauseum in previous episodes. So I don't want to go too far into it, but the zone diet mm-hmm. and it worked very well for me. So mm-hmm. I, this is in the, in the late nineties, in mid to late nineties, I have these just like huge transformation. Like it just, uh, I was working out a lot anyway, as a back in, you know, I was training for SWAT and, you know, I was in patrol. So it was physical fitness was always a huge priority for me. So I really approach wellness from that side of, of the house, like uh, exercise and nutrition. And it wasn't until, you know, probably a, a few years later where I started to realize, well, you know what? There is there is a whole nother component here. Yeah. Emotional well-being, um, okay. you know, it, it really has significant ties into this. And, you know, and in the end, it's, you know, kind of like one of the things that you we all understand it intuitively, but we have this for whatever reason, we like to deny it. Um, mm-hmm. And we like to think that, well, whatever way I choose is going to work for me. And that's the only way. And if mm-hmm. it works for me, it'll work for everybody else. And so we tend to kind of push things on others that might not be effective, um, at least for them. Mm-hmm. It's a long way of saying, I, I think, probably in the same, you know, maybe in those, in that same time frame in the, in the 2015 time frame for me is where I realized like, okay, look, it's all important. It, you know, you can't focus on just one area. Um, and, you know, and Greg Glassman used to say, right. You know, founder of CrossFit, you can't mm-hmm. exercise your way out of, you know, out of poor nutrition. Yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly. and then, and, and conversely. So when you, when you were teaching to, uh, police executives from around the country. What what do you think? Have you seen a change in the appetite for this type of information? And maybe talk a little bit about like how how it is approached and how it's received, and you know, kind of generally where that's been going. Yeah. Oh, great, great question. So absolutely, there's a change in appetite for this, and. Um, you look at major conferences, like wellness is a huge component of that for law enforcement. And I love, I love that this is happening. And just to touch back real briefly, and I'll hop back forward on your uh, parallel, your, you know, your kind of your analogy of physical training or diet, right? You found something that works for you. And you look at any nutrition program, um, probably outside the Mediterranean diet, which is so well researched and everyone agrees on that. People can get into their camp pretty strongly about what works for them. But I think there is a, you know, you could go, what, what would it be like a full keto or full vegan, like in everything in the low carb, no carb, whatever, high carb, I have a full array of stuff. And people try things out and they figure out what works for them. And they have a tremendous um, patience for that and somewhat of a respect for one another when we do that. Same with exercise on the physical side, right? Like we're like, awesome, you're a CrossFitter, great. I, tried it. It wasn't really my thing. I do this. Awesome. It's great for me. Like, do you prioritize your physical health? Yes. Good. Good for you. Keep at it. So important. Doesn't have to be what I do. Love that you're doing it. On the wellness is those things. There's also that mental health side. The same principles should indeed apply to our kind of uh, community uh, appreciation, respect for one another, taking care of our mental health. Um, we're starting to open up and get there. And, and I do believe very strongly it's a cultural change that is happening, that is necessary, and it's starting to happen. I have tremendous 
kind of optimism about this specific question right now, but also, you know, the next five years or so in law enforcement, when I, when I see who's coming through the NA, the current and future leaders of our law enforcement agencies, and then talking with other folks, like I see this happening and, and right now, absolutely, but in the places it's not happening yet, I, I see the signs it's going to be happening in the next few years. And so we're, we're recognizing how important this is. The one of the challenges is that we don't yet we don't quite know what that magic button is, and, and we're looking for that, and, and, and there isn't one, right? Like it isn't like just do this thing, and you're going to be good, right? Excuse <laughs> me. So back to that word strategy. It's why I included that when I had to add an extra word on. Um, it's plural because. Again, not not everything's going to work for everyone. There are some things that are so well researched that I encourage everyone to try uh, and see how they go for them. But it might not be your thing, and that's okay if you've given it an honest go about it. But we um, we we have to become not just aware of nor comfortable with, but maybe challenged by, in a positive way, challenged by the experience of trying this stuff on. And just like, we're like, man, I don't know, I tried that CrossFit thing. I was so, so for a couple of weeks. I quit. You're going to be like, hey, good on you. You'd probably say, hey, keep up with it. You know, you'll get through that. That's your doms. That's your whatever. You're going to get through it. You're going to get through it. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. But you're not going to be like, well, never exercise again, right? Like, <laughs> so, so with, on the, and the, you know, more bribes, spectrum it's not just mental health I and mean, we can get into relationships we can get into meaning and purpose those are all part of this our financial uh planning and wellness all part of it right and so as we can um support one another in this journey i think we're all just going to be so better off for recognizing our brains are so complex right and and it takes time it takes work and um, it takes patience, it takes curiosity, and um, all that can come through supportive relationships as we're trying to do. And that's probably a good segue, I think, for one of the things that we want to talk about here, because this is where leadership, I think, is so important. Yes. And, you know, I did my first, it's hard to believe, and, um, and I'm trying to find it, but I did my first wellness presentation for our police department. It was either 1998 or 1999. And so it's you know, almost 24, 25 years that ago yeah. that I was talking to you know my peers at the time about why this is important. If you, and that was early in my career, um, you know, having been in the military, then going to college and then starting, I was 27 when I started policing. So I wasn't a 21, mm -hmm. 22, 23 yeah. year old. Yeah. So I had a few years on me, but you know, it, it just, uh, I think really, it's really fascinating looking back to see how much resistance there is internally to any type of organizational requirement around, let's just say, physical fitness, even, um, or even mm -hmm. at the time, you know, what our, our reticence was for participating in things like uh, annual EAP checks or check-ins yep. yep. uh, because of, you know, people were so dogmatic or they had, you know, mm -hmm stereotypes about oh uh, well you know if somebody if somebody ad admits any type of weakness or 
something that it, it could back, you know, could backfire. Yeah. It could, yeah. you know, that yeah. people might not trust yeah. them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, to see kind of where, where it is now, it's in some ways I'm, I'm excited about the, about the potential for where things can go in the future. And there is hope that, that things are going to get better. But at the same time, I, I, I often get a little discouraged because I see leadership in a lot of places still really push back against this mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that it's the individual's responsibility to take care of themselves, which I do. I, you know, there is everything boils down to individual accountability in the end, but, uh, but, but I do think leaders can set the example for what is possible. And, and I think right now, part of the crisis that we're in from a recruitment, a retention mm -hmm. perspective and people leaving this profession is a lot of young people understand that there is a better way. And if, and if you're not going to get on board mm -hmm. with it, then I'm going to go find, right. Right. you know, a, a career in a profession that, that does meet uh, more of my own individual personal needs. So I don't, I don't, you know, that I guess that's more of, that's not even a question at this point, just kind of a, an observation that I've had, yeah. but, but I, in the end, what I'm boiling it down to is you, you have a saying, and I've heard you say it was, you know, to lead well, you have to be well, mm -hmm. and it may, maybe expound on, on that philosophy a little bit and kind of how that, you know, how that motivates you and, and drives you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Real quick, I want to go back to just one thing you mentioned in there about trust, and then I'm going to go into lead well and be well. I so strongly believe, like, w with a cultural shift, right, that is one thing. So uh, feeling like it's okay. You, we're going to get forward. Like, the leadership has to help us understand it's okay and model and all that. Yes, we're going to get there. So, so that is one piece to this for change, right? We need that cultural shift for change. The second piece we need though is trust. And that trust is in multiple arenas. One is that team trust, that psychological safety, that shared trust, right? You don't have to share it with someone else that you're doing something, but that shared trust that you know your 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 team, uh, your department has your back in the sense of um, it's a culture, right? So that's part of that culture comes into that shared trust at that psychological safety. But that other trust piece is our systems, our processes, our procedures, our regulations, like our policies, everything has to match what we're saying. Because if we say this is important, we say we're doing this, we say we're going to do this, we're going to institute this thing, but there's any confliction with those policies, it's just lip it risks being just lip service, right? If we say something is valuable, but then someone goes and does that thing we're saying is valuable and a policy, maybe we didn't catch it. Maybe we got 14 different policies that have a bit and piece here and we got, we got it all, but oh, someone's like, oh no, this one policy over here, you know, like that happens. And we see one example of someone who is um, negatively impacted by doing what we're saying is important, then trust erodes for everyone. And so those two pieces we have to start to change that culture through through example, and you get to that leadership on the example side, um, but also peers. But through the example, changing that culture, and what we what we say, but also 
we've got to make sure our systems and policies are matching what we're saying, or we won't have trust for these changes in, in any organization, um, certainly in law enforcement, where we're hmm, a little skeptical about nature, right, already. And so um, that can prevent us from being able to to progress forward, even start in some circumstances, but progress forward. So I just encourage everyone, like, look at all your all your policies, right? You're going to have probably a bunch of different things if you've not done this before. Um, stovepipe, not necessarily stovepipe, but you're going to have a bunch of different things. They got to match. You're going to have different people with different beliefs. Yes, but we we've got to make sure that piece is 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 matching, not just clean, but but really with the intent of positive change, and then we can start to progress forward. So to be aware of that. So those two pieces, trust is so important. Um, But yeah, I'm kind of leading well. Um, You know, and I include, my my business title is, it is is well, I include because there's a lot of things that fall under that umbrella of well, right? You can talk about wellness, well-being, um, we could go into like common descriptions or explanations of those terms. You know, there's a lot that falls under the longevity and vitality and performance and all these things fall under this category, right? Of, of well. In law enforcement, we're still generally using the term wellness. Um, some are using the term well-being. A lot of corporate world is well-being. Some are going back to wellness. It's, it's kind of a little bit all over the place. And I, I don't want anyone to ever get wrapped up in, in that word. Uh, so, so well, what does it mean for you to be well? And then as a leader, I believe it is essential. You've got to be well to lead your best. Um, I think we've probably all seen or experienced an example where that isn't happening, right? Sometimes we don't notice when it is, but I think probably, and I did a post about this, like sometimes it can feel like a stick has been shoved in your the wheels of your bike, right? And so when you have a leader that's not well, um, we we absolutely experience that impact. Um, and so leaders, it's so important for us to take care of ourselves. When I hear a story about someone that, um, shall I say, is not the not the most supportive of a leader, you know, there's other terms people might give or maybe Maybe the personality um, things come out that we create some. Are you being nice here? I'm totally being nice here. I mean, I hear these. You don't stories. have to be. I mean, no, it's okay. I will. I, I am. I mean, it's just, <laughs> when I hear these stories, I immediately, I think, and then if it's appropriate, for, I don't want to like not trying to catch anyone, but if it's appropriate for me to ask them, if it's the right context, I will ask, how is that leader doing personally? Because most of us come into life and come into facing each day wanting to do good. We come into this profession wanting to serve, wanting to do well, and wanting to to be, um, you know, there for other human beings. And, and so, it's I occasionally run into someone that they they have it a different way. But I'm like, okay, so so is there anything going on with that leader? Um, I don't know. They seem fine. Okay, well maybe maybe let's let's um. Not that you can necessarily tell or check, but that's why I've made leadership the focus of my programs is, is there's an outside impact of a leader on an organization and, and, it, and it can be a spoke in the wheel. Yeah. But it can also be a ripple effect of positivity that goes out there. 
And that word or idea of positivity is um, often misconstrued as naivete, and it is it is not. I, you know, I've studied positive psychology, and I'm a firmly believer in it, but you still need a grounding. And they use an analogy of a sailboat, right? You need the sail to catch the wind, but you still need that keel to to um, keep that boat, you know, like to keep it balanced in the water. Otherwise, it's going to fall over. Um, so you still need that that reality check. But uh, our, our brains are wired with our negativity bias, that survival instincts. Some would say three times as many good things or positive emotions are necessary to counteract one negative in relationships. Some of that research is five good for every negative, yeah. right? And you can just know this from your own example. You, you read a performance review. You don't look at anything good about you. You go right to your negative, your negative, <laughs> your areas of improvement. That's how we're wired. And so... With positivity, it's just providing a counterbalance to that, not ignoring, not naivete, uh, but positive emotions also put our brain in a greater state for learning, for performing, for challenge, um, solving challenges, for creativity. So the more we can build those within ourselves, um, we can start to create that within our teams. And so I... I believe that leaders need to be well first. And if they're good and they're, they're well, they're well in all aspects and domains, none of us are perfect by far, right? We're all going to have things we're working on. Absolutely. But if we're working towards wellness, wholeness, well-being, um, performance in these different domains, um, vitality, longevity, we're working towards these things, then that's going to out to how we lead and that others are going to see that example and so that's why I start with wellness for leaders um, before we can get to you know how how what are strategies they can use um, in, in their leadership with others yeah yeah a lot of a lot I want to comp, uh, comment on there because uh, you know when you're when you're in a leadership position mm-hmm. you sometimes it's easy to default to, um, you know, just kind of put your head down and just keep grinding, right? Because you're there, you're there, you have a job to do and you got to do it. And yeah, it's interesting. And I never really thought about this much until I was, again, uh, towards the end of my tenure. In my last 10 years, I was, uh, I served as chief. So Mm -hmm. you, um, when you come from, from, you know, the, the street side where you're working with people, you have close contact with most of your department on a pretty regular basis. But then, um, you know, even when I moved into, you know, working narcotics, when I was working the safe streets task force, now you're in a, in a unit that's isolated really from the rest of the department. And so your, your, your contact, you know, shrinks and your, Mm -hmm. and your, your, your peer group shrinks. And then when you move and then from there, moving into the chief's office a few years after that, you know, now now your group really shrinks. And so yeah. your your daily contact with others. So there's you know, there's there's not a lot of there's not a lot of positive as- affirmations that really ever come yeah. to to a chief or to really, I think, yeah. really to any leader for that part, because, you know, a lot of us, like you said, you know, we're we're wired to focus on the negative yeah. Um that's a survival mechanism. It's built yeah. into our DNA. We've, we're more worried about threats than anything else because Absolutely. that's how we survive. Yeah. Um, but I, I think 
the problem is, is that when, when that gets out of balance and where you begin to see everything as a threat, and this is kind of interesting because I've, my the last couple of, of posts, my journals that I, that I write for uh, mm-hmm. LinkedIn, I've kind of talked about these things. One, one I call it, it, it actually is going out today. It's called the negative energy train. It's kind of an oh, analogy that I have about, yeah. about being careful um, about, uh, really about about how easily that can that can pull you in yeah. and you know it's um it's real you know that that's pretty fascinating and you uh and again i see this in a lot of chiefs now when i'm on the outside looking in i see others that want to do the right things for their organizations and so they put themselves last yep. and every everything else is for other people first mm-hmm. I, I think some people i in some people i think it's insincere uh, mm-hmm. I think they do that because that's what they think people want to see. Like, you know, they talk about, you know, yeah, I'm going to do this for you. Um, but other people that that's just who they are, you know, it's just kind of their character or their, their, you know, yeah. they just want to do the right thing. And, and unfortunately you can really see how it negative impacts and negatively impacts their health. Uh, and, yeah. and generally in policing, how do we, mm-hmm. you know, what's one of the ways that we observe that? Well, we see people gaining weight. Yep. Uh, you know, particularly you know, yeah. the in in those types of roles, uh, yeah. and I could go into a lot of other descriptors. Right, sleep starts to get sacrificed, mm-hmm. um, and and then you then you get on this. You, you know, you, you start heading down the wrong tracks, and everything starts mm-hmm. to accumulate. Stress starts to accumulate, and yeah. Yeah. it it, yeah. it doesn't lead anywhere good. So yeah. it's it seems counterintuitive, mm-hmm. but if it. But if I had one piece of advice for leaders out there, it and this is what I talk about when I when I do these classes is you've got to focus on yourself first. Okay. Yep. It, it's it's the whole it's the whole you when you're on the airplane mm-hmm. and the oxygen yep. mask drops right. Yep. What do they tell you? Yep. Put your own mask on first. That's it. Uh-huh. Um, because if not, you're going to become part of the problem, yep. and that's and that's exactly what happens. Yep. Chiefs become part of the problem, not not the yeah. solution. Yeah, absolutely, and and. Um... Quality of life certainly is impacted. That long term, um, their ability to enjoy what they've worked for so hard, right? And so, but just not that future side, that that current side. And your folks need you to be your best, whatever your best is. Like your best for that day. You're not going to show up perfect every day, but your best for that day. And trying different strategies to get you into whatever that is. Um, and I'm a big fan of morning exercise. I I know, even now, I'm retired. I still exercise in the morning. If I don't, it's not going to happen. And I can pretend and kid myself, um, but I'm just squeezing in. My mind's distracted or whatever. I'm doing it my whole life. And and that's like a thing that works for me to make sure it happens. Evening, my husband and I, when we're, you know, when we're not off at a sports practice with a kid or something, prioritize our evening walks. That relationship is so important. Whatever those things are, then it's it's important to try those on and prioritize prioritize that. Your folks will see it. You'll set a good example for them, and they're gonna find and it helps create that environment of psychological safety, that trust that they can try these things too. When their leaders are out there doing whatever or talking about it, oh my gosh, sharing their own struggles. So powerful. Now we we you know share appropriately and intentionally, but 
sharing that we've had struggles is an incredibly powerful way for people to know I'm not alone. Like this profession, I think, is like none other with its 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 cute its like these different effects. Not like a perfect storm, but these different things that come together in this profession. You take you take um, the trauma exposure in a culture that is some places changing or has changed, others haven't yet, but certainly everyone probably in their career has experienced a culture of like suck it up buttercup kind of thing with trauma, dealing with trauma. So you take that, the cumulative effect. You take um, you take the rotations of shifts, like haphazardly, uh, like the the lack of awareness of the impact of, uh, of of changing our sleep schedules and how to do that more effectively with our circadian rhythms, the long term effect of that. We have to do shift work, absolutely. Um, I believe as a profession as a whole, we have to figure out how to do it smarter. And and what is that proper interval? What is what is the way we can do that with the clock so our long term health is uh, not so negatively impacted? So you take. Uh, rotating or that the rotation of shift work um, when it's not approached scientifically and intentionally, um, and then you just take the the culture or the nature of the work rather. Those those three things together again are are like no other profession out there, and so therefore our we should have tools that um, no other profession has. We should have leaders that are are, are talking about the impact of this and what they're doing to try to fix it. I, I think oftentimes we want to have everything fixed and resolved before we approach the issue. Um, this is something that's going to be, a, like you mentioned with the folks coming in now, it's an expectation um, for for that, right? Because this is their, their future lives. So this is going to be some generational changes, but I do believe um, our, our leaders are, are critical in, in talking about this. Yeah, that right there, man. There's there's so much I want I want to talk about just yeah. on that alone. Yeah. <laughs> so let's let's just say um, sleep, for example. Yeah. And, and again, this so this goes this goes back to leadership. So if you're if you're raised in a department where this someone's sleep has has never been protected or prioritized. Like I've worked and I say this as someone that worked night shift for yep. the first, oh man, was it from 1995 to 2008, I, I worked night shift. So 27 to 40. You know, so 13, basically 13 years wow. now, maybe uh -huh. a, an after a year on uh an afternoon shift where it was yep. basically four yep. to midnight. Yep. So even on those, I wasn't. You know, you're generally not getting to bed till three o'clock in the morning. So just working nights for that long. Uh, for most of that time, it was eight hour shifts. So mm -hmm. I worked from 11 to seven or 12 to uh, 12 to eight. Yeah. Um, that, you know, but when the rest of the world is operating on a nine to five schedule, mm -hmm. your court dates, yeah. you know, everything else evolves around the, the the other people Body so you're yeah else. so mm -hmm. yeah and, and and that that in and of itself it's just kind of like well that's just kind of the way it is right so you know the police work has to be done 
overnight. It's, it, it is a 24 seven operation. So we yeah, just, absolutely. you know, suck it up yeah. and go get it done. Mm -hmm. But there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of discussions about, okay, well, how, how do we manage sleep? Yeah. Uh, what is the research saying? And these were all things that, again, fortunately for me, I just got exposed to some of this uh, right. very early on in my career and came across some yeah. of the research, you know, Brian Vila's uh, research about sleep and how it was affecting performance. Mm -hmm. uh, John Violante, yeah. some of the, some That's of these pioneers thing. that were like saying, look, it, it's, and, it, and this is what I, if you can't get leaders to think about this from a wellness perspective, then they should certainly be looking at it from a performance perspective yeah, because absolutely. I mean, that's, absolutely. you're responsible for the performance of your organization. Yeah, and, yeah. uh, and oh my gosh, if you, uh, if you're, if you have a quarterback for an NFL team or a point guard or whatever, any, yeah. any professional yeah. sport yeah. or even college sport, right. One, do you want them performing at their best or do yeah. you want them performing, yeah. you know, whatever, you know, luck of the draw on, you know, whether they got a good night's sleep the night before or not. Uh, you know, nobody else really looks at this in these ways. And, and yeah, it's, it's kind of hard for me to just kind of glaze over that because there's so many things that I want, I want to dive into oh, there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you, when you have, I mean, maybe just ask this question. I don't know if this is something that you taught in your, in your uh, work at Quantico, but are, are these are these things that were that are being accepted more broadly now from chiefs? I mean, I have my own opinion about it, but yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, what what yeah. what do you? I mean, when you ask chiefs to raise your hand, hey, how many of you uh, have ever worked night shift? You know, and maybe they raise their hand, and then the follow up question is: is um, how many people have ever been taught? how to manipulate their physical environment to optimize their sleep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. Great, great, great questions um, to ask other people on a bit of self-reflection. You can go a little bit more like a gut check, like has anyone ever drifted off in the middle of the night shift, you know, or have you ever, you know, found someone taking a nap, like where they shouldn't be, where it's not approved. And so I think uh, initially when I bring this stuff up, of generalizations, right? But when I bring this stuff up in a classroom, there's a lot of, uh, right, whoa, kind of stuff. Like, it's just, we do it. And I think that goes into, yeah, a little bit of culture, background experience. Like, we've made it work. We've gotten through kind of thing. But also, gosh, it's so busy. And we don't have, folks don't have the resources to figure out a better way, right? Even if they've realized we need something different, like, well, what are we supposed to do? And and I am not a sleep expert by no means. I know there's a lot of great folks out there who are doing great work. I mean, Dr. Matt Walker out of Berkeley, he's like, hey, the shorter your sleep, the shorter your life. I mean, like, is that contributing it's that to cardiometabolic problems? Probably, right? Or maybe your suicide. Like, a, like there's a lot of things or decision making, like you talked about, or our um, our, our communications with others that can be negatively impacted. But, okay, so even we recognize that at a very logical level and realize it, when we probably never experienced what it feels like to be rested, right? And so, um, again, not being a sleep expert, but the little bit I, I have become aware of is your body can adjust to a new schedule, a new shift. People do it all the time. It's when we rotate those a little bit, um, 
uh, intentionally rotating, but without awareness of the impact. So like quick turnover or frequent rotations and shifts. You know, if you're on a shift for a long time, your body, your circadian clock, every cell aligned to that clock, they're going to adjust. And so the better you can do, now you're going to have those distractions. Like you said, you've got court, right? You've got training. You've got these other things that happen. You've got family stuff that's happening during the day. Those are all certainly challenging. But if it, no other variables are thrown in, if you're just working a non-normal shift, like you're a midnight to eight type of person and doing that a long time, your body's going to adjust a lot better than if you're just kind of, okay, you get 24 hours off and we'll see you tomorrow morning at eight. And you're like, what? And so, um, so all these things. So I, what I suggest to folks is no one's taken me up on this yet. And I think it was maybe Bend, Oregon, someone part. I love the idea. I, I can't, I wish I could attribute it off the top of my head right now. It might have been somewhere in Bend or somewhere in Oregon partnered with a local college or university to research this together and figure out, you know, we're partnering with our local experts to um, help these service, these service experts that serve our community. How can we do this? And I think what a powerful thing for so many reasons, like supporting and getting support from your community, that strong message that sends about that partnership between academia and law enforcement, the, the very valuable input they provide to um, to the law enforcement agency on how to how to optimize these rotations. Um, there's just a lot of a lot of good I think that can come from that. And the third piece is that communication to your folks. You all matter, right? You matter. Your health matters. Your longevity matters. Your performance matters. We're going to do this because we don't know the best way to do it. We're, we're going to find out because it's important. You're important. Services community is important. And so you get strong leadership messaging. You get a chance to work with your community in that service. And you got to make a healthier environment for your folks. But I think that's where a lot of it comes from is people like, if they even realize, they're like, well, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to do it better? Uh, when people begin to experience being well-rested, I find this in the classroom, um, they become all in, right? And so you can talk about yoga nidra or naps or bringing like rooms in for quiet space for folks or ways to calm kind of the, the, the neocortex of the brain to just let their brain settle a little bit during the day or a place that an overnight, a night shift person can rest in the morning before court or if someone has um, worked you know, they've had a, a response to something and they worked, you know, um, a much longer ship lab overtime or double or whatever, and it's not safe for them to drive home yet. You've got a place for them to rest in the department. Uh, I, I find folks are much more open to that at, towards the end of the class once they've experienced what it feels to be well-rested. Yeah. So you know, one of the, one of the last projects I was involved in uh, before I retired was we built a a, a new public safety center, new police department, awesome. and yeah. uh, some of the it was interesting to me in when I was having conversations with architects and with designers as we were building out the space because in in there we we did 
we had a bunk room built into our, our new building, a quiet room just for those reasons, right? Uh, not just in case someone gets snowed in, but because hey, I've got court at 11, I just got off at eight. I've got three hours. Um, do I stay awake? Do I sleep? What do I do? Um, but even, you know, just the idea of having a bunk room in a police department, people are like, what? People are going to go to sleep. It would seem like such a foreign concept. And I'm like, you know, fire departments are built around their sleeping quarters. Like, <laughs> Like, nobody nobody gets on them for sleeping on the job like you know matter of fact it's protected and it's revered but you, it's revered. you know you, ca Great you catch a you catch a, pol a police officer falling asleep at three in the morning in their car what do people want to do they want to fire them they want to vilify them and it's like mm -hmm. all right is is this really the? and then people wonder why well maybe i maybe that's not a job that i want to do uh, and if anyone's, you know, and, and I don't care who you are, um, mm -hmm. if you've worked nights long enough, you, you're falling asleep on, on the job at times, Absolutely. especially, and I'll tell you, this is where I knew for me, like I, and I loved working nights. I just loved the work. I just loved the environment. It was always mm -hmm. where I wanted to be, but I, uh, I went through uh, Northwestern staff and command mm -hmm. and yeah. Great it was mm -hmm. a, um, the program that I went through, it was two weeks on, two weeks off. Mm -hmm. So I, I didn't go to Evanston. I went to Evanston for their, for another uh, leadership course that they have, but this one was um, off campus and that's the way they ran the program, mm -hmm. which was good because I had three children at home. I had a, mm -hmm. a, a, a what was that at the time? I think a seven-year-old, a five-year-old and uh, a three-month-old. A, mm -hmm. a brand a, a baby and yeah. my wife works full-time too yeah. and yeah. i spent two weeks in class and then you'd have two weeks back at work mm -hmm. at work i was working night shift so oh. for two weeks i'm at work uh, or mm -hmm. i'm in class during the day um and then two weeks i'm back to work so for the for the weeks that i'm working in, i'm in class right i want you want to be able to help out at night you know help with help with having an infant and any, and anyone this is why i always say like <laughs> ch children teach you a whole another a whole another level of about personal time management and responsibility and 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 quite frankly an mm -hmm. empathy for others too Oh, um, you sure. know, for, for people that have never had children, there's just certain things you're just not going to understand. Uh, and no dogs are not the same thing. Um, I hear that. Oh, I have dogs. Like yeah. sometimes I have to let my dog out at night and it just makes me chuckle, but, yeah. and I love my dogs too. But after, after a couple months of doing that, and then that lasted for six months, but after a couple months, I knew like something in me changed during that process because when i when i completed the program and I, there was a time i've told this story before but i i lived 13.1 miles from headquarters to my driveway and mm -hmm. there was a day that i wound up i found myself sitting in my car at the end of my driveway with my foot on the brake and car still in drive and i had no idea no recollection how i got there like i don't remember the drive home and you know it's like well that's you know that's when that's scary yeah. like you're like oh mm -hmm. man that's like yeah. um something right. something's got to give and it, when you're young you can absorb a lot of that stuff but like you were yeah. talking about earlier right 
And this kind of goes to uh, Bessel van der Kolk's work. I don't know if you've read The Body Keeps oh, Score. Yeah, but yeah. And, I, and that should be a required reading for every police okay. leader. But it, it's mm-hmm. not, you know, it's 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 not just the emotional trauma that accumulates. It's that physical mm-hmm. stress mm-hmm. that you put, you know, yeah. every you know, everything is everything is adding up. And at some yeah, point, right. at some point, you know, it's got you, you got to cash in and. Right. Uh, you just don't want it. You don't want cashing in in a negative way. So, yeah, um, all right. So maybe, so now we've kind of, I, I don't want to be all doom and gloom here because we've talked about some of, you know, some of these bad things that can come from it, but mm-hmm. I, I, there is a message of hope here and Absolutely. there is, there should be yeah. some positivity, like you were saying, and some yeah. optimism because, you know, knowledge, understanding is, is, you know, that's the biggest part of the battle. Once yeah. you understand something, yeah. now you can start to engineer your time and your day around, okay, well, um, you're not going to be able to get everything optimal, but sometimes good enough, it has to be good enough. Mm -hmm. And if you can balance your day and this, and, and this is where coaching comes in. And this is why I love what you're doing because there are so many people that need to hear this message and so many people that need to, uh, I think, you know, kind of acquiesce to maybe their own fears and their own uh, reluctance to engage in some of these programs and just, and just start doing it. Um, Because that's when you use, you'll really start to develop a a higher level of understanding. And for leaders, Mm -hmm. that's huge because uh, if, if you experience something for yourself that you know is having a positive impact, you're more likely to share that with others and you're more likely than to build this as, as really, into the priorities of, of how you're running your agencies as well. Yeah. So with that in mind, mm-hmm. um, from a coaching perspective and when, when you're talking, okay, we, sh- okay, we share that, you know, the ugly, like, Hey, here are the things, you know, here are all the realities of policing, uh, and, mm-hmm. and this work in public safety. Yeah. It, it's really stressful. Um, here, here are all the bad outcomes that we see. But here, here's what we can do. So, what what are some of the what are some of the quick takeaways that you can give people, or maybe some simple strategies that you yeah. think that yeah. you found that be effective that are easy for people to adopt? Oh my gosh, absolutely! I think um, I love that. I love that question, right? So, for for so many reasons, and that setup was awesome. There's so much we can do, and um, so much we we just got to be uh, aware. Number one, and then willing to give things a try to fit, figure out what fits into our life, uh, figure out what works for us. Um, and in that process, I think we begin to refine our priorities. And it, um, so it, it, I think that priorities is, is critical, but I think that comes down the road once you've experienced these, because you don't know what you're missing sometimes. Like again, you don't know what being well rested feels like when you've spent 13 years sleep deprived. Right. And so once you begin to experience those things can shift and you see that, um, see a shift in yourself. So I, I think one of the kind of, one of the places I start, in fact, I start here with my National Academy class and I get the, uh, I don't know if I'm going to stay in this class response from number of people when I do this, which is fine because at the end of at the end of class, I get many people who are like, I wasn't sure I was going to stay in this class, but you know, glad I did kind of stuff. Um, because I, I, I do this intentionally to 
as I think it's the strongest foundation, um, but it also puts people, gets them outside their comfort zone um, and helps build an immediate stage for uh, for curiosity in, in learning. Um, it's a gratitude. And, and I bring up gratitude because it is of positive psychology research. It's a field of psychology. It's a branch of psychology. It's been around for like three decades plus. Dr. Marty Seligman, Dr. Chris Peterson, uh, Marty Seligman's at uh, UPenn. Dr. Chris Peterson has passed away, but he's the University of Michigan. Like they were some of the founders for for positive psychology. But one of the the idea was behind positive psychology is that until then, most of psychology was focused on just getting back to a baseline of okay, right? And they start asking the questions. Well, okay fine, right? But I want to be great. Like, I want to thrive. I want to flourish. I want to live. I want to, how do we live the best life is how Dr. Feldman often puts it. And so this whole field of positive psychology was built kind of out of that inquiry. And one of the very um, foundational core things with positive psychology is uh, character strength. And so what are the things that make you, who you are, so they're energizing for you, um, they're effortless. Um, they're who you are. So they are unequivocally you, like your things. And so they, they took a team of, I think, over 50 scientists for three years and studied all across the world, studied world religions, studied across time, philosophers, religions, across geography. And they came up with this kind of map of, of what humans across time, religion, geography have said makes us great as human beings. And they came up with these 24 character strengths. And so in these character strengths, they're like love, um, honesty, um, curiosity, creativity, love of learning, um, gratitude is one of them. And there's 24. You can find them at the VIA Values and Action website and take a free survey. But of all 24, for, I think it was like 2015-ish Scientific American, I believe, <laughs> uh, studied, like looked at the um, 24 character strengths and it's found- funny. Between... I, I, I don't need to cut you off there, but it's funny yeah. because I just did it again last week. Oh, I and that, that was unprompted. I, 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 you know, I've I done it. it a few times and it's kind yeah. of funny because you can go back and kind of see how things change yeah. over time. Yeah, absolutely. And so when they studied it, yeah, it's so great to do. And I'm so glad you're familiar with it. Um, and so when they studied it, they found that gratitude of all 24 of these great things. So effortless, engaging, um, you, who you are at your best things. Gratitude was the one with the strongest correlation to happiness or subjective well-being. And so when you look at the science of gratitude, we look at the orientation of gratitude um, beyond, I mean, I love November, right? Thanksgiving, we give our thanks. Awesome. You know, if you're a religious person, maybe you say a, a grace before a meal or you have your prayer prayers during your day, like we're, we're expressing some thanks. But an act of gratitude, or in addition to that, and gratitude is, uh, is an orientation. And so what I would have the students do is is something that the positive psychology researchers have come up with is a is a three blessings or three good things activity for two weeks. So every day for two weeks that and the only reason they would do it is because they tied it to a grade, right? And so <laughs> it was something one of these try it on, see how it goes. 
And every day for two weeks, they look for three good things that have happened during that day and they journal about it for themselves that night. And it helps in so many, many reasons. One thing with sleep, it helps with sleep because your mind, if you do it right before bed, your mind is now attached to those positive things versus rumination about some of the past to worry about something in the future. Um, but it, over time, what most of them experience was, and what I experienced when I found it, is you begin to change your kind of awareness shifts on what is really going on out there. So as humans, yes, our brains were driven to find those threats, those problems, certainly in this profession. That is the necessity and the expectation, but it can overpower us. And so when we're finding, looking for those good things out there, for many, it's a lot of work to find the good things initially. Over time, our brain starts to rewire a little bit and we start to notice them more automatically and it can become an orientation for us to notice those things and so many students their experiences are looking something for something huge every day and that first week it's kind of frustrating because it's a little bit of groundhog's day at the academy there and it's that huge on day one when it happens day four you're like i need something new i need something big so often people find their way towards small and we begin to see that those small everyday things, maybe someone's kind to us, maybe a car lets us in in traffic, maybe someone holds a door for us, simple things we might otherwise bypass, we begin to notice with a sense of appreciation for other humans, for how things have aligned in our favor. And we, our minds begin to realize that we have um, what we need generally, right? We have, it's almost like a just-in-time type of thing. Like all of a sudden we're like, you know what? I thought I needed this, but then this thing up here and I realized I can use it just the same. I don't need the whatever. So materials and things like that can decrease, but we also kind of begin to see how things come together in a positive way. So I would start with gratitude. I will pause there for your, your that's, thoughts. Yeah, that's, no, I love it. And I'll, I'll show you something here in a second. But the, um, um, so one one of the uh, concepts that I just wrote about in my, in my, actually my article that, that should have posted while we're on this call, yeah. um, really, you know, there, there is, there's science behind that too, where you can actually change the structure of your brain. Yeah. I mean, where you can increase the gray matter you know, yeah. and strengthen the prefrontal cortex, because Absolutely. that's really, that's what, uh, what that's where, doing. you know, you're shifting, you know, from the amygdala to the prefrontal cortex. Yeah. And, and that's why exactly brain science, right. I think is, yeah. is so important for people to even, you don't have to study it and, you know, geek out on the science. Mm -hmm. I think just recognizing like, okay, the data is there to suggest it. So, um, and I've talked about this a few times, but I, I'm not going to show the, uh, the pile that's right next. So people will see this little chair right here. That's, yeah. um, that's my meditation chair. And I, it. that's, it's been in my office for going on, I think six, seven years now, but I, I have a stack full of journals around here and yeah, this is, and, and I've talked about this previously, but I just want to reinforce this. Why it's, I love that you're talking about this. Um, you can grab any, you know, any old notebook and, um, this is this is my my morning gratitude I journal. It. I love it. 
And so what you're talking about there and just put, putting the dates down, you can't really see it, but I mean, no, no. Really, I, you know what, look, point, I got but... mine right here. I love it. It's yeah. So, so um, yeah. I just point that out. Like it is I like doing it. that at first, it was kind of hard, right? Like you're like, yeah. well, this is kind of weird. And, and this was a recommendation that I, I had read about it. I read Flourish years ago and, uh-huh. uh, you know, the ch- work of Csikszentmihalyi and, and all uh-huh. of those around positive psychology and yeah. flow, which I yeah. thought, you know, it's great stuff. But what where, what I failed to do, <laughs> yeah, what I failed to do was actually put it into action. Like, like mm-hmm. I'm great at reading a lot of these things, yeah. but it's, it was like, so what, my first experience with working with, with a coach, again, I, I didn't. I wasn't looking forward to it. It was something that made me very uncomfortable. But at mm-hmm. the end of the first hour, uh, like I've talked about, I was like, oh my gosh, why didn't I do this years ago? Mm-hmm. And then I, I was looking forward to those next those next sessions that mm-hmm. came. And by the time I was done working with them, I was like, dang, I, I like, I need to do this more. Yeah. But just simply, you know, my just changing my morning routine where instead of waking up and the first thing I do, looking at my phone, wondering what I missed overnight, um, you know, that it, it, every day it, it will derail your day. Don't you can't. And if you're if you're trying to convince yourself that it won't, that you can manage it, you're wrong mm-hmm. because right. uh, your your mind, what, once you read something and once you see something, there's a part of you that's already working the problem. So if, if there I mean, if you can just force yourself to say, look, for the first 45 minutes of my day, I'm going to wake up. In a, like I'm, I'm not a morning exerciser. I've tried for years. Well, yeah, my wife yeah. and I owned a CrossFit affiliate for, for years. And, you know, I used to have to coach the morning shift, but I'm more of a mid afternoon. Perfect. Okay. I, that's, okay. that's the best time for me to work out. But in the morning, if I wake up, um, not, not look at the phone, mm-hmm. but do, you know, quite just do about 10, about 10 minutes of stretching and then do 10 to 15 minutes of meditation Yep. Then five to 10 minutes of reading. And this is, I've talked about this with uh, Steve Sweeting and a few others about the stoicism. Like I just mm-hmm. chose to read uh, stoicism in the morning. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I worked, you know, started with Seneca and, and Marcus Aurelius, just reading five or 10 minutes of that a day. And then at the conclusion of that, uh, writing down five things that I was thankful for, just just start my gratitude journal. And that was hard. Like it was like, well, gosh, what do I do? And, and, you know, the advice that I got from a coach was just start with anything, anything that's easy and don't, don't worry about it. Don't make it complicated. It doesn't have to be some kind of profound thing. It can literally be like, Hey, I'm thankful. I woke up today. I'm I'm thankful that I've got a chair to sit in. I'm thankful that I've, you know, that I, I have 10 minutes to do this. Uh, And then you can, you know, then you just, eventually you'll you'll start to find where it gets easier and easier and then it was kind of fun because after like a couple months of doing this going back and looking at it and like and seeing kind of where 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 my changes had come and and uh yeah so i i love it that's so start so with so gratitude practice Mm -hmm. gratitude and he's and here's actually a thought that i'd had um in it would be difficult, I think, to convince people to try to do this. Mm-hmm. But uh, and this kind of goes into what I was talking about with um, yeah. uh, the uh, my my latest journal, because you know the concept that he talked about is uh, rugged flexibility. 
um, which is it's it's kind of a cool it's 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 kind of a cool concept, but really you're 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 practicing uh, some of these things where you can learn to, where you don't want to be rigid in everything that you do. You have to learn to kind of take things as they come. Um, because, you know, policing in particular, I mean, the book wasn't about policing, but there's so many lessons there that are so profound for police officers, police leaders. Mm -hmm. It's hard, it's hard to kind of like, once you read it, you're like, oh man, that just makes, that just makes perfect sense. With, with that, you having, with the concept of rugged flexibility and then how you would apply this to your day when, when you see, and again, it's another, a phrase that I have, I call it the doom loop, right? When you get people, when they, uh, it's, it goes, it works in conjunction with this negative energy train, like where, Mm -hmm. where that energy starts to pull you in. And then once it gets pulled in, it's sometimes you get, you know, it's easy to get into these mental loops where, Mm -hmm. where all you are is looking at threats and and negativity. um, When that's only a small part of what's around you. And so when you're looking for anchors for things that can bring you back, um, then this can become really important. So it might even be, uh, and I know we teach mindfulness, you know, people call it tactical mindfulness. There's other things like, Hey, I just cleared a call. I was sitting in my squad car, you know, you go through a, a, you know, four rounds of cyclic breathing, box breathing, or some version of that. But I think it might even just be as simple as sitting down before you even think about what you're going to do next to, to have a moment of gratitude where you say, all right, I made it through that call. Um, find something positive that mm-hmm. happened and reset your framework. Because if you leave one call negative, you're bringing that with you. And when you go on to the next one, and one thing we know for sure in policing is that the, the next call you go on isn't, you know, isn't Betty Brown waiting there with with chocolate milk right. and cookies yeah. for you to, to, you know, just ask you how your day is going. Right. Um you know, you, you don't get those moments. And so that's where the cumulative, you know, cumulative stress starts to build. And that's, you know, that's what gets people in trouble in a lot of different yep. ways. It, it negatively impacts performance, behavior, um, and, you know, ultimately health. And and yep. that's, you know, that's what we're trying to, trying to prevent. I love it. I love that idea of just finishing a call, right? With, with a moment to think about something and, I don't know. I immediately start going to, okay, how could we build this into systems or practices? Not necessarily like formally, but informally. How could you, how could you do that with one another? You know, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Everyone have to know their own briefing cycles and all that, but getting others to talk about this normalizes it and it, it, and it makes it okay. Right. But it also people get to begin to see that, that, um, benefit of, of doing it. So finding a way to talk about this at some intervals would be good too. And encouraging that practice. I think it's awesome. Yeah. Kat, I, you ever read Nudge, uh, Sung Sin's book? It's a great book because it's really kind of like, how do you engineer things into uh, routines and okay. you know, structure things around like that, that will, that will push people in a certain direction and, yeah. and maybe get us to work against our you know, yeah. for us rather than against ourselves. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. that would, exactly. so there's, maybe there's, there's for anyone that's into the technology side of things, maybe that, maybe that is something as simple as putting a prompt in, in an RMS and a CAD system that when you clear a call, you get a little pop-up message that says, and I, I think there are people that are actually doing stuff like this right now, but I love it. 
Um, Great. Awesome. So, I love it. Just those little separate. reminders, right? Yeah. We, we, just... we, we operate on neural pathways and, and we've got a routine built upon routine. And so finding reminders and things like that to help break those or, or build new ones or, or try on new ones is so valuable. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I've been rambling a lot here and, and we're, I know this is, we're already, I think at like an hour and 15 minutes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. We, and I, I know we could go a lot longer, but um, what, what what's a question that I haven't asked you today that I sh- that I've should that I've should have asked or what's something that you want to sure. talk about? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned meditation. I love your chair. I love that you know that your chair is enough, right? You don't need a new meditation chair, right? That was one of your gratitude points. I'm big into the idea of meditation. Ten minutes a day, ten twelve. Well, well researched that there can be great benefits. So I don't think we need to go down that road. Just other than my encouragement of folks to try and if you ever if folks ever have questions about how to do it or, or how to approach it i'm happy to share that i think though in the interest of time one thing that you and i talked about um when we talked a while back or a few weeks back was future planning i guess in partnership with your significant other and i I don't know if you want to talk about that. I can bring up kind of what my husband and I have done and, and why that's been so important in this wholeness wellness journey. Oh, no, I think that's awesome because um, it's often one of the it's one of the overlooked aspects of yep. mm-hmm. of wellness is you, you're not in this alone. You may feel like you're alone sometimes, but you're never alone. Right. It's yep. everything that we do has an impact on our loved ones and, and most particularly our families that are closest to us. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I appreciate that. You, even earlier, you brought up the word ruggedness, right? So um, rugged flexibility. Rugged flexibility. Rugged, yeah. Rugged yeah. flexibility. So, so, so ruggedness is a, a super important word in resilience. Um, so what you're talking about is that you know, resilience is a component of resilience, right? That rugged flexibility. Dr. Michael Unger out of Dalhousie the University in Halifax, Canada, is one of the world's experts on resilience. And he talks about ruggedness as those individual skills and practices that we have, right? Those hardiness, other researchers have called it hardiness. All these things we're talking about that you do yourself to build up your core, right? In different domains. Awesome, works great until you have a crisis or your individual ruggedness gets overwhelmed with what is in front of you. And we all have those points in different domains, right? And so the second piece he shares about is our necessity for resources. So we have ruggedness and resources. And those resources are many, but I want to bring in the relationships as being so important in that resource category. Um, Harvard 85 going on 86 year study, the adult study of human development is, uh, you know, overall health study of humans, Americans over, over, you know, nearly, nearly nine decades going strong. And they've followed the individual pool and then their descendants in this, in this study. And the single biggest factor they found, the single most important thing they found for long-term health is your relationships, the strength of your relationships. And the reasons are many, um, but on a, you know, really understandable level, you can think of the practicality or the value added of having someone you can de-stress with, right? So building that relationship, 
is so valuable. We're a species that relies on other human beings to survive, not just thrive, but to survive. And that's what makes us pro-social, but we need those relationships as a species. Um, ruggedness can sometimes make us feel very individualist, right? And so, so we have to remember there's that other column, that other necessity for balance is our resources and I bring in that relationship as being so critical. So my husband and I were both in the bureau. We met and shared earlier. We met and got married in the army. He came in the bureau about a year ahead of me. I followed a year later when we couldn't make our assignments align between his FBI assignment and my army assignment. And that's how I ended up in the FBI. I mean, no more, no more fancy than that, but <laughs> it's been a you know great, 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 great career. Loved it. And so during that whole time, though, we both had these full careers and we then had kids. Right? And so how do you balance this? Now, we're not first responders. Thank goodness. We're not working ship work generally. Thank goodness. Um, he was in a, a very responsive role for at least half of his career. So he, you know, he did have some of that, but still we have more predictability than our, our first responders, uh, friends and colleagues do. But we have still a lot of challenge and a lot of struggle and took a lot of communication to make things work. I used to joke like I needed a PhD to do work child management, like like the scheduling <laughs> and the coordination and, oh, my gosh, who's going to get the kid to this practice? Who's going to get him from daycare? Who's going to, you know, like this constant and what you can happen in that and if your whole approach becomes only one of survival and there for about 10 years 12 years just getting through a day getting through a week is almost a miracle you do it you get through you're like ah i made it through the day here we go for tomorrow but you put it behind you and move on and sometimes that's all you can do i live it yes i totally get that but what can risk happening is if you only focus on that day to day all of a sudden, all that's behind you and you're looking forward and you're like, uh, what am I looking forward to? Like, what do I have? What do we have? My health is shot. My relationship is so, so I've got like, like, all right, I'm never, you know, I'm, I'm not encouraging people to retire, but like, we never want to leave the job because we don't really have anything we're working towards. And about eight years ago now, we came up with at the time what we began to refer to as our 11 year plan and we're like where do we want to be in life and health and fitness and in financial status living you know our whole like careers where do we want to be when our youngest goes off to college so where what you know that whole thing not just physically where but all those aspects and we you know came up with our at the time our aspirations 11 years is a long time but we came up with that and it's shifted and adjusted over time, and we don't have it all fine-tuned and nailed down. But that was a collective conversation and dream that we worked on together. And that has been um, our drive for everything we've done since, going back to Quantico for both of us, um, was part of that. Returning to Boise is part of that. Uh, our daily decisions, like, Hey, you know, I, I, I used to run a lot and I have way too much arthritis than I should at my age. I might want to go out and, and do something. He's like, don't you want to be skiing in a couple of years still? I'm like, oh, yeah. So maybe I need to do something else. We 
well, it's financial decisions. He's the good financial one. I'm not. But we, we partner on these things and we hold each other accountability in service towards that collective goal. And I cannot overstate the value of that enough. And I've shared this with others, but man, when you retire, you retire to your family. You will have, if you have one, if you've chosen to have one in whatever arrangement that looks like or a significant other, if you let the day-to-day get up, overwhelm you and, and be your everything, then um, sometimes that is not necessarily looking like you want it to be. I tell you, your colleagues, you've been there. Your colleagues have great memories. You'll catch up from time to time again. But you are retiring. If you've chosen to have a family, that is who you're going to. And that is your future. And and it's so important to prioritize those relationships um, as soon as you can. Yeah, that's awesome. That And it's great advice. And again, this is where I think we have opportunities to be yeah. better. Because I think we can, we, we can incorporate these things from day one. Um, instead of, because you're right, looking back, it's easy, you know, and, and I, you know, I think anytime you retire or you move on from one thing to another, there's all, whether you want it or not, there's always going to be periods of reflection where you're looking back, like, okay, um, what would I do differently if I, if I went backwards, what would I do differently? Um, and that, and that's, of course, that's where the lessons are, where, you you know, sometimes, you know, my dad used to had a saying, right? Youth is wasted on the young (laughs) <laughs> and uh, yeah yeah Third every, you know i mean not, I get, like like me <laughs> yeah like, every, as i get older i realize like yeah my dad was you know he was a pretty sharp dude and yeah, um you know and and i think that's kind of the point really for leaders now if you're still in a position where you have these types of influence mm-hmm. then then look at day one don't look at where people are going to be at, at they you know at their fifth year or tenth year or twenty I think those are all important things laying out and of course you know some of the work that I've done uh, with performance protocol like when we're doing these surveys right that's that's the number one thing that employees are looking for right now is my how is my agency going to invest in me do they have a path for me do they have a plan no. for me it's not yeah. how much money are they going to pay me so it's kind of funny where we think like that we we and, and trust me I've said this a lot. I'm all in favor for for better pay and better benefits because we I think mm-hmm. that's definitely that's it's a it needs to be a priority across the country. But there there are other things that we can that we can focus on as well. And it might just be from day one, like when you're coming into your organization, what is your the training for your physical fitness going to be for your defensive tactics, for your ground mm-hmm. fighting, for your nutrition, um, for your financial planning, uh, for your sleep schedule. Um, and one of the things, and we haven't talked about this today, but, um, one of the classes I taught with Dr. Kevin Gomartin, you know, he, every, Mm -hmm. I think everybody knows him and, you know, he asked this great question, like, um, how, you know, how many of you have been trained to, uh, to drive your, to drive your squad cars and emergency vehicle operations, right? Everyone's hand, how many people have been trained in firearms and defensive tactics, everyone. Mm -hmm. And then he asked the question, how many, how many of you have been trained, uh, in heart attack prevention? It's like no That's hands go up. Get us. Yeah, mm-hmm. and yeah, eighteen. To, you're eighteen times more likely to die from mm-hmm. a cardiovascular event than you are from uh, uh, an armed assailant. Uh, yeah. And so, 
I mean, and 18 times, that's a big, big number. Um, yeah. It's just, yeah. It, it, so yeah, that, it, and that's so important. So even, even these opportunities to incorporate families into the training, uh, getting, yeah. giving them a good understanding of what, what policing is going to look like, um, what, what the effects of, of hypervigilance might be like your, your husband worked in, in this type of work. So, and you yeah. both work in it. So you're, you have a different perspective than families where one spouse works in public safety. Another might be a school teacher or something, um, sure. where, you know, yeah. the, where there's just a different, there's just a different basis. So different background. So having, having organizational led, uh, educational opportunities to say, Hey, here's, here's what you can expect. And Hey, here's some things to, to plan. Oh, by the way. Mm-hmm. And I think most agencies do, you know, through city resources and others have access to financial planners, you know, EAP has become a much better program and that's offered not just for family or for the officers. Now it's, we're seeing it more widespread for families. So all, all of these things are important and and it's all important. And I guess the, the, the biggest takeaway might be you don't have to do it all at once either, because if you think about all these things, oh my gosh, there's so much I need to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's sometimes then, you know, then it's, um, you know, that, that, then we get into the, the psychology of choice, right? <laughs> if you have too many options, your default action is to take no option. So sometimes yeah. you just got to limit yourself to, okay, where, where are we going to start? And then take that step. And just, just like that gratitude journal, you know, you don't have to make it complicated and it doesn't yeah. have to be in a fancy journal. You don't have to get on Amazon and spend an hour shopping. It can be, uh, it can be one of your old squad notebooks that you carry around in your back pocket, right? Yeah. Just, just get something and get started. Absolutely. No, I love that. I mean, I'd say to that, like if you want to take a step forward with your family, go on a walk sometime this weekend or tonight or whatever, whenever. Just go on a walk with whomever you care about. And I extend family out there, your significant relationships. If you've chosen to be in a relationship with another, um, invest in that relationship like you would any other aspect of your health. Just go on a walk. There, there's some great value in side by side for conversations and openness, right? And so when you're looking and then that physical act of moving towards something as you're talking, if a dream comes up as you're talking, you're moving towards it. There's great things there and there's, you know, fresh air and exercise and all that. But just start with a walk with someone you care about and, and see where it goes from there. And I'll say take two walks, one with someone you care about and one by yourself. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let your mind wander. <laughs> yeah. Free. Oh man, we could keep going. We could go forever, but I'm going to, I better, um, I better leave it at that. So a couple of <laughs> questions I always, I like to ask everybody. Um, we've shared a couple of books um, that, mm-hmm. uh, that, you, that you've read and that you think are impactful. Do you have a book recommendation? Like what is your number one most recommended book? Like if you, if you, were to tell somebody this is the, and it can be fiction or nonfiction. I generally say Bible doesn't count. Um, yeah. You know, I'm looking up right now. I don't know. Um, I have so many. Um, what's the so last, what, what book are you reading right now? Build the Life You Want to Live with Arthur Brooks or Build the Life You Want with Arthur Brooks and Oprah. Actually, it's great. It brings, I am in the middle of it right now. It brings so many fantastic 
principles about not just being okay. I mean, they, I haven't seen it yet in the book, the discussion of positive psychology, but all the activities, all the discussion is very much from that mindset of how do we live this great life? Like, what's the life I want? And there's very practical tips in there. So I'm, I'm totally loving that right now. All right. Well, here, this is the one I was talking about earlier. Now I'm already done. I'm on to the next one, but I wanted to show this book. It's it's called Master of Change. Right? Oh yeah, Spielberg, Fred Spielberg, so. for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, so yep. and you know he's got a great um, great. Yeah, yeah, he's got a great uh, website called the Growth Equation. Mm-hmm. Um, that's mm-hmm. it's a fantastic book. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, yeah. I know. I'm like with Steve Magnus. He partners with Steve Magnus on something. Yes. Do hard things is another good one about resilience apply applied wrong right like like it's not just like never quit no matter what like what is true resilience so that one spoke really deeply to me that's a great and then um the comfort crisis by michael easter that's another good one all kind of along the same theme yeah Yeah. but yeah and then the practice of groundedness is another great uh stolberg book but okay um anything at all that we've missed i think we've i've we've covered a lot of grounds how do we, how do, if someone is interested in having you come and train, how, how can, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah. And I have crazy enough just now, I got some awful feedback. So how, anything else or how do you find me? Is that oh, what you yes. asked? Sorry. It might've been my moving around that was causing. No, that. I don't. I'm actually hearing bizarre voices. I've never had this through my AirPods. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> but if it is, I would be totally open about it. Those are just the voices in your head. Come on. Yeah, exactly. Listen to them. Uh, no, I was. How do people get in touch with you if they if they want to learn more about what you're doing or if they're Absolutely. interested in having you come train? How do they get in touch with you? Yeah, LinkedIn is great. Sarah G. Draper. Um, my website's leadingwealthstrategiesplural.com. Um, yeah, and and certainly through Performance Protocol. Uh, yeah, those are the best ways to reach me. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you very much for spending your valuable time with us today. Um, We'll we'll probably have to, we'll have to have an episode, another episode sometime and, and just, it just probably write down like the last 30 books we've read and see if they're all the same, because it sounds like we're we're, we're reading the same things. You missed it earlier. I brought up my gratitude journal when you were copying yours. That one looks nicer than mine. That one actually. Mine's just fake. I don't know. It was free somewhere. Like you said, doesn't it's fake? I don't even know what vinyl cover. Oh no. Well, look good. It looks. And good you don't have to. You don't have to give away the secrets, but I, I, I give away all my secrets. <laughs> awesome. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. Until the next episode of the Optimizer Podcast, I'll be ten forty-two. Thank you, Patrick, for what Thank you do. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye.